You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Hey everybody, it's the editor, and I just really quick wanted to let you all know that even though I am supposed to be posting part two of last month's final episode, I don't post an episode until I have explicit permission from the person I interviewed. So, while I'm waiting to hear back from Emily, please enjoy the episode that would have dared afterward. Stay tuned for part two of the episode about wrestling and hero cults. Thank you for listening. The fact that all of these stories borrow from each other and evolve over time. For example, the Sumerians, they also had a tree of eternal life and a serpent. And this was then passed down to the Hebrews, who then put it into their book of Genesis, as Dan Joseph Campbell mentions. So it's not an original concept. And if it's something that's borrowed from one religion to another being translated over centuries, then how can we believe that any individual version of it must be taken as truth. Hello and welcome to Drinks With God, a podcast about alternative theological experiences, death, and life. All of the following content is based on each interviewee's own personal experiences and is meant to be educational, not confrontational. I always tend to just start recording mm-hmm. as is. And let's just make sure that you're getting picked up. If you could just say something. Hello. Okay, that's very quiet. Let me just move this. Is this in the way? Can I move it? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. It, you know what? Give, give me the book. Just oh, in case oh, I want yes. to reference it. Sure. All right, so the microphone's right here. Okay. So is it picking me up now? Yes, perfect. Oh, my God. Okay. I'm just going to pour myself a little bit more wine. Go right ahead. Because there's... It's not like I have a long drive home or anything. (laughs) So, welcome to those of you who are listening to another episode of Drinks with God. Today we're going to talk about uh, atheism, which I personally assume in my own um, definition of uh, what religion is and isn't that is actually technically a religion because it is a coherent complete world view that encompasses what happens after death and to me and it's got more than one person following it so uh, to me that's a that's a religion well, actually if it's just like two people following something it's <laughs> or less than a dozen people that's not really a religion that's going to be just like a cult or like some crazy people um <laughs> But if that, even if that's the case, I still want to talk to you. So just drop me a line and come on the show. <laughs> we take all types here. So, um, but yes. Yeah, so today we're going to talk about atheism, um, all the various things about it, because a lot of people just kind of assume a lot of stuff. Um, it's like it's kind of a catch-all phrase. And today we've got Meg, um, who works over at the um at, it's wiley wiley cornell wild cornell wild cornell College. yes you're part you're part of the research faculty at wild cornell mm-hmm. medical staff. Co- you're part of the staff. staff i'm not fancy enough to be faculty Ooh, okay yeah. yes i'm subpar <laughs> i wouldn't call you that um <laughs> at wild cornell medical college mm-hmm. but um so uh, why don't you just give us a little bit of a background with a uh, what uh like 
why atheist, I guess, as opposed to, like, how you got into the religion, I guess, like, why atheism appeals Mm -hmm. to you? Because it's Mm -hmm. not really, I don't know if you'd call it something you'd get into, because Mm -hmm. it's kind of... Yeah, it's not exactly taught in schools. Yeah, it's not really taught in schools. There there aren't really any atheist cults going around trying to find people, disciples or anything like that. The literature is kind of bland. It's not really really pressed on you by the little ladies who ring your doorbell while you're trying to have dinner. Atheism, it's only really, you know, advocated by very angry white men for the most part. Just demanding, how dare you guys lie to me? You told me Santa was real. You're not going to put another one over on me. That's kind of how it works. But yeah, uh, I just sort of fell into atheism very naturally. I was raised Catholic. I went to Catholic school for a number of years. But, you know, my family wasn't especially uh, observant. You know, they were really just twice a year Catholics more than anything else. And, you know, when it came to having my confirmation, I just wasn't interested. You know, when I was a kid, the teachers generally had to convince me not to wear my rosary as a necklace and I couldn't understand what the big deal was. So that was just, you know, I didn't have a natural affinity for it in the first place, even though, you know, they started trying to brainwash me pretty early. But yeah, just by the time I got into my teens, I started realizing that, you know, I wasn't taking it seriously and I didn't really understand why it was that anyone was insisting this was a real thing. I never really had, you know, an indoctrination into atheism. It's just something I fell into and recognized slowly over time. And, you know, obviously when I got older, I was able to take, you know, comparative religion courses. And, you know, I was able to find Richard Dawkins, who's a very famous atheist. He wrote The God Delusion, all that sort of thing. And I became more familiar with actual arguments against religion and arguments for atheism. But as far as, you know, when I realized I was an atheist, it was just something that slowly dawned on me, you know, as I got into adolescence, that, you know, none of the religions really spoke to me, and I didn't really understand why anyone was insisting there was some invisible man in the sky who was telling us how to live our lives. It didn't really make sense to me. So it was just a very natural progression. Okay. So it was pretty much just a constant adherence to logic and just affinity Mm -hmm. for, Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to any sort of like big major cataclysmic event. Because I know a lot Mm -hmm. of people are just kind of like, oh, something must have happened to you that you don't Mm -hmm. believe. Mm -hmm. But I mean, like, that's not necessarily a thing. Yeah, nothing ever happened to me. I, I never had, you know, a nasty argument with a priest that led to some sort of epiphany or anything like that. No one was trying to force religion down my throat and, you know, I rebelled by going in the opposite direction. Nothing happened like that. Just, you know, slowly over time, no one was, you know, actively pressing it on me and I just realized that it didn't make sense to me in the first place. And as I got older, then I started actually, you know, defining why it was that it didn't make sense in the first place. I ended up finding arguments for it once I became more familiar with all of the literature on religion and the subject of atheism. Okay. And I know that a little bit before we started recording, we were talking about kind of the roots of atheism, that mm-hmm. it really, it's kind of in vogue today in mm-hmm. a lot of spots. Like, mm-hmm. um, like right now we're, we're in the, 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 you know, a very tolerant part of the United States. Mm-hmm. Most United States is, uh, in the, um, in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. So it's not... <laughs> tolerated everywhere mm-hmm. um and just like creationism isn't tolerated 
everywhere. So, you know, it goes both ways. <laughs> yeah. All theories are going to get criticism from all points. Including the theory of gravity. Yeah, the theory, yeah. and including the theory of yeah. a round planet. The, the theory, theory, quotation <laughs> yeah. marks. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll believe the flat earthers where they lie. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> so, uh, but we were talking a little bit about how, even though atheism is very much a, a uh, a bit of a hot topic today and mm -hmm. seems very much like a modern religion mm -hmm. it's got a lot of roots in the enlightenment period which mm -hmm. even though this like especially to me who I, like you know if it happened after you know the 7th century bc i'm not really i'm very sketchy on the details <laughs> but the enlightenment period is pretty much where it like got started as like a, something people would take seriously mm -hmm. there were definitely people that um were accused of being atheists. It's not very clear about whether mm -hmm. they were or weren't because most of them were like got killed in some well, way. There were but. a lot of atheists throughout time. Just a lot of them didn't necessarily broadcast the idea. For yeah. example, Thomas Jefferson, he very famously, uh, he made his own Bible taking out all of the elements of uh, magical realism, all of the miracles that happened in the Bible, you know, and, and just keeping the realistic elements. And that's actually still a very valuable artifact today his yeah. version of the bible so he's generally you know used as one of the patron saints of atheism one yes. of the earliest founders that we can point to but you know even before that there were plenty of atheists i mean a lot of them of course were killed during you know different inquisitions and all that sort of thing yeah it was kind of had to be an underground exactly thing so so then it was really just a lack of observance more than anything else, rather than a cohesive movement during any period of time. But, I mean, if you go back, you know, centuries, then you can look to people who didn't believe in the Greek gods, for example. You know, they yeah. ended up falling into philosophies like Stoicism and Epicureanism and all of these things yes. in their search for happiness. And, uh, for example, Socrates was eventually killed for, you know, flouting the gods and causing trouble among the youth and all that sort of thing. Yep. So, um, some of my favorite writings are from people who were accused of being, um, and they wouldn't use, really use the term atheist. They'd use mm -hmm. it like a um, religiously recalcitrant. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's not like it's, it's an anomaly of the modern era. But mm -hmm. it, like uh, it became a cohesive... I hate to use the term valid, but because of, like, the vast amount of people that were like, yes, we're all this together, mm -hmm. communally validated mm -hmm. movement. Well, it's had validation in different periods. Yeah. Like, during the French Revolution, yeah. they, you know, tried to convert Notre Dame into this cult of rationality. And yeah. unfortunately, that didn't take, just like people didn't take to, you know, the reign of blood and terror and all that well, sort of thing. in 1793, there were two different religions. Um, this is like the one thing that I know that happened in the modern period. Because <laughs> <laughs> it has to do with religion. Mm -hmm. um, in uh, 1793, there were two different religions, which the current regime in France was trying to propose in lieu of Christianity, because mm -hmm. just... There was a void left by mm -hmm. um, them trying to like have no religion, and uh, let's see. It was Robespierre was, I, I believe, very much a proponent of the cult of reason, mm -hmm. if I remember correctly. And then there was the other faction, which I cannot remember quite as well because I, I did a lot of 
because it, it got to a point where it was just it was just Robespierre by himself, just being <laughs> like, no, this 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 special little cult that I have. That oh, I you want. might have had Locke, you know, there in the background. Oh, oh, oh yeah, but he died eventually. I mean, they well, all yeah, they the, all died. They eventually. all died. But like uh, there was there there was a brief point, and it was really just that one year, like mm-hmm. 1793, was mm-hmm. a very religiously a very special year, very special religiously exciting year for the French Revolution for mm-hmm. anybody. Who is just like a, either a, a francophile or a religious history nerd, or especially just like weird history nerd? Just like look up, <laughs> like just look into 1793 and mm-hmm. what was going on. Yep. Well, that's a special <laughs> year, but I mean, the seeds of that were going on long before. I mean, if you read Dangerous Liaisons, then that's evidence enough of you know the rampant hedonism that was going on. These were not religiously observant people. They weren't worried about you know God condemning them for their sins of lust or anything like that. Well, they were taking it very seriously. Would you consider hedonism to be on the same page as atheism? Because is that mm-hmm. even considering what... Because to me, atheism mm-hmm. has to do also with having a um, a thoughtful outlook on where you sit and as, mm-hmm. um, as a part of humanity. Mm-hmm. And where humanity sits just in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. Even if there is no life after death. Mm-hmm. Which there are a couple, there is a handful of religions out there that do believe there is no life after death, mm-hmm. and I consider atheism among them in my personal definition of what a religion is. Mm-hmm. Um, but would he? I don't think that hedon. I think hedonism is a philosophy that wouldn't count as a religion mm-hmm. because it is very in the moment and it doesn't consider a broad scheme of things. Well, I would say hedonism is not mutually exclusive with atheism, but they're not the same thing. Hedonism is more about the pursuit of pleasure. And that's somewhat related to Epicureanism, but the difference is Epicureanism limits the definition of the pursuit of pleasure to just the absence of any sort of physical pain or mental anguish. It's much more limited in what it's looking for. It has very low expectations, whereas Mm. hedonism is sort of just trying to pursue as much pleasure as possible. You know, it's an excess of pleasure. And that's not necessarily anything to do with atheism. Atheism, it can certainly exist in tandem with hedonism, but it's simply about the absence of God, the idea that there is no spiritual figure that is controlling or defining our existence, that there is no afterlife for us to wait for, the idea that all we have is the here and now, that we define our own meaning in life, that it's not defined by some you know, patriarchal figure in the sky or anything like that. Right. Or so. matriarchal. We have had very true. <laughs> we have other had other people on here who don't believe in a in a big invisible man in the sky, mm-hmm. so to speak, but a big invisible woman in the sky, mm-hmm. or or several dozen of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that in itself is sort of evidence of the likelihood of atheism being the correct viewpoint, because the very existence of multiple religions and multiple viewpoints. I once got into an enormous argument with my boyfriend, actually, because he is spiritual. And, you know, I didn't understand. It wasn't a religion that he had been brought up in. And I didn't understand why would you settle on this one? You acknowledge that there are 500 different religions to choose from. And you could have just turned around, closed your eyes, and pointed and found any one of them. Why would you assume that this is definitely the right one out of all of the gods you could have chosen to worship. Why would you decide this is the accurate one? When you look at comparative religion, then you see how all of these different 
religions and mythologies are completely interrelated. And Joseph Campbell, he was an excellent authority on, you know, comparative religion. He had a great collection of lectures called Goddesses, Mysteries of the Feminine uh, Divine. And he said that mythology is defined as other people's religion. Religion is just misunderstood mythology. And I think that's a really wonderful definition of the two. You know, he talked about how the gods of other people are defined as demons. And if you really go into the history of when, you know, the monotheistic god came about and the environment that was going on at the time, you'll see these very clear, uh, I guess you could say, the environment of these polytheistic religions surrounding this monotheistic religion, and it puts everything into a very different perspective than you would get just reading the Bible. So, for example, the Bible talks about all of these demons, the devil trying to, you know, lure people away and all that sort of thing. But what you actually had during the time, you had all these polytheistic religions, all these other religions that were luring people away from this one monotheist theistic religion, Christianity, uh, before that, of course, Judaism. And the distinction between these is polytheistic religions acknowledge that there are multiple spirits to worship and that, you know, a single one does not control all of divinity. Yeah, it's a lack of omnipresence and a lack of mm -hmm. omnipotence. Each exactly. one has their own specific sphere. Exactly. Sphere. Whereas if you have a monotheistic religion, then it's basically having a single god and insisting this is the only one. If you worship any others and you are denying me, then you are somehow not following the path. It's basically a, a selfish, jealous god who doesn't want anyone worshipping others, and therefore these other gods then get transformed into demons. Basically, whenever the Bible is talking about demons and the devil, you know, luring people away, it's really just talking about other religions tempting people. It's this idea of the jealous god that you see in the Old Testament who doesn't want you worshipping anyone that isn't him. Two points. One, I just wanted to double. Yes, while you're while you're pouring yourself another whiskey sour. Um, oh yes, tonight we are having white wine and whiskey sours. Mm -hmm. I try to keep track of that because I should. Two points. Um, is that the same Joseph Campbell who did here with a thousand faces, or it? That sounds right. He did a lot on you know mythic heroes and all that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, and, and heroes of a thousand faces is his specific work mm -hmm. alongside uh, Star Wars. He was very popular in the 1960s and 70s, so that sounds like the right timeline. Okay. J j so. um, only because it'd be like, as you'd heard in a previous episode, <laughs> same Joseph Campbell. But I'm honestly not sure if it's the same Joseph Campbell, because that would mm -hmm. have been the only work I've read by him, mm -hmm. because I'm a huge geek, massive geek. But, <laughs> Nothing um, wrong with that. But yes, if uh, and of course, any and all books you bring up, I'm going to put notes, mm -hmm. um, links to, and information on in the show notes Excellent. but also um it's interesting how you bring up the whole idea of um a god getting vilified and uh, mm -hmm. misconstrued because of course me being me and my studies um <laughs> of course i'm thinking about how with the bacchanalian affair of 186 bc how after that you see bacchus going from deification to vilification mm -hmm. within even within the reli the religions within mm -hmm. Rome just mm -hmm. because of what was going on politically. Mm -hmm. And um, for those of you who might have not heard any episodes where I spoke about him or had or just don't remember or 
any, or weren't paying attention or fell asleep or whatever. I, I'm not a very exciting person to listen to. <laughs> it's all about the guests, really. So the in 186 BC, uh, uh, the rites of Bacchus um, had been going on for obviously quite a while, but had only recently been open to the fact that men were allowed to jump on in there, and it didn't take all that long for someone to accuse um, someone else of making men who were about to be sworn into the Roman army of doing terrible, heinous sexual things in the, like, you know, for, in the name of Bacchus, as opposed to of in the name of Rome. And that just made all hell break loose because, um, other things were of course going on in that. Like, uh, Mm -hmm. someone was, they were accusing people of, you know, cannibalism and Mm -hmm. of, um, senators doing terrible, like, Mm -hmm. you know, having sex with goats Mm -hmm. and with servants and all sorts of different things that were considered terrible and that incredibly classist Mm and, Mm -hmm. um, and not just patriarchal, but incredibly militaristic society. So Mm -hmm. they weren't, uh, going to let that stand. And there was a fantastically huge witch hunt, the numbers were definitely exaggerated because it was Livy, and Livy is Livy. But we do know that quite a lot of people died, and that the um, laws that were created afterward were used to quite great effect to later pursue all pagans in general mm-hmm. during the Christianization of Rome, which I think is incredibly ironic. <laughs> but <laughs> what you do see afterward is the fact that Bacchus had gone from being a very important god in early Rome. Mm-hmm. Dionysus had been very important in Greece. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see then him getting lesser and lesser in stature, and then mm-hmm. this whole scandal blows up, and then all of a sudden his cult is all but eliminated. Mm-hmm. And you see him going very much underground mm-hmm. as a very, very lesser god. His rights are still invoked, mm-hmm. but they are in almost a different guise. Mm-hmm. Like You'll still see the theaters go... Um, going on, you'll mm-hmm. still see um, his name being bandied around um, when they're supposed to be, but you won't see a whole lot of honors being presented to him mm-hmm. um, because he's, you know, he's dangerous now, apparently. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, well, that's very similar to how uh, in Greek mythology you had Poseidon. He was also you know, worshipped, you know, in a different form in Rome. You know, he was the god of the ocean, he was very heavily connected with emotion itself, with nature, and one of his signature uh, symbols was the trident. And what's very interesting is that symbol then gets transferred in Christianity to the devil, it becomes a pitchfork, and it's sort of this translation of these natural impulses suddenly being viewed as sinful, and that was very much the influence of Christianity. You had this transfer of a deity from one religion to another because of this natural interaction between the stories that we tell each other. And again, like I was saying before, the very multitude of religions is sort of evidence for atheism. The fact that all of these stories borrow from each other and evolve over time. For example, the Sumerians, they also had a tree of eternal life and a serpent And this was then passed down to the Hebrews, who then put it into their book of Genesis, as Dan Joseph Campbell mentions. So it's not an original concept. And if it's something that's borrowed from one religion to another, being translated over centuries, then how can we believe that any individual version of it must be taken as truth 
must be evidence of some greater power that is looking down on us. You know, if we can evolve from polytheism to monotheism, then that's just evidence that these are man-made stories that we tell each other rather than, you know, some divine truth that's been taken down and cannot be altered over time. You have fundamentalists who look at, you know, the word of God as the word that cannot be interpreted or anything. It has to be taken as literal fact. And atheism is the effort to look at these things critically and say, if there's this evolution, if there's this exchange between religions, then can we really believe that any single one of them is in fact truth? Wouldn't it make more sense if these are man-made creations that we tell each other as, you know, a comfort, as a way of explaining how the world works? For example, uh, again, with the ancient Greeks, we had the mythology of Demeter and Persephone. This was the explanation of why we had the seasons, that Demeter would bring fall and winter down on the earth whenever her daughter was away from her. And then when she returned to her, then we would have spring and summer, this plenitude of fertility. These were, yes, religious stories. They were venerated, but it was an explanation of how the world worked and why it was that we were doing all of these things. And now that we have, you know, science and technology to explain how the world really works, how weather behaves, and, you know, the fact that the earth revolves around the sun, we know better than to accept these explanations. Mm -hmm. Well, um, two points, actually. Mm -hmm. Would you actually call it an evolution from polytheism to monotheism when polytheism still continues to exist mm -hmm. alongside monotheism in several different formats? I mean, mm -hmm. not only Hindu religion, mm -hmm. which has been going on for quite a while, it's varied in its format. Um, mm -hmm. It's changed throughout, throughout the ages, but it stayed very much the same. Mm -hmm even as monotheistic religions have been on the rise. But there's also been other religions that have been of people who were subjugated by Catholicism that mm -hmm. then um, kept their oral history kind of in secret and then mm -hmm. kind of plastered their gods onto the saints mm -hmm. and then kind of existed alongside and then continue to exist today. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about um, Santeria, Sregharia, mm -hmm. um, which continue to exist largely in the Americas mm -hmm. with people who have had to kind of like keep up their traditions alongside it. Mm -hmm. um, and which actually going on the same point within Sansaria and Srekaria, you'll see today with modern, like with modern technology and modern explanations of how things work, mm -hmm. you will see since the gods are explanations of how things work and how people are supposed to relate to them and mm -hmm. work with them, the gods you will see today in some cases are changing and morphing mm -hmm. to be like, okay, what had been the god of gods of like communication and integration of emotions and also of peoples mm -hmm. are now being connected to technology. Mm -hmm. And so people and so you'll see people who are perfectly normal, rational people are of course leaving um some cigars and rum like over in this altar, that altar, that picture of Mary, mm -hmm. and then also by their ATM machine, knowing that their ATM machine is not a god, but knowing that the ATM machine is a symbol of how people communicate with each other and of mm -hmm. the financial international structure. Mm -hmm. So so there is an evolution within polytheistic mm -hmm. religion in that regard. Mm -hmm. But then there is also, with like such as with Hinduism, mm -hmm. a religion that has remained 
somewhat changed, but largely the same mm-hmm. from even like before Judaism. It might be a little trite, but bringing oh, up yeah, no. actual evolution, the fact that chimpanzees still exist doesn't mean that humans were not descended from them. So polytheism may still exist in very similar forms to centuries ago, but that doesn't mean that monotheism did not descend from those religions. So as I was saying before, monotheism could be interpreted as a single god being jealous of all of these polytheistic religions and not wanting people to uh, engage with those rivals to his power and his domination of people. If you look at, you know, a lot of ancient religions, there's actually speculation uh, you had a lot of individual fertility goddesses for different areas who would then be married to the sky gods who represented the invading tribes that would come into an area. They would marry those two religions together in order to form a union between these different tribes that were coming together because of invasion. So you have this melding of religions, the melding of different stories together. And if you have this evolution, much like you were saying, that even polytheistic religions, monotheistic religions, they change over time, interpretations change over time. If they're able to change, then that challenges the idea that there's an objective truth behind it. Because if something is objectively true, then it should be unchanging. For example, uh, there's the idea of uh, God, the monotheistic God, having five essential attributes. That God is omnipresent, omnipotent, omnificent, omnibenevolent, and God is truth, meaning that God is one with the laws of nature. That is the essence of what is God. However, these are things that cannot change. They can't alter with time. And then you have one of the big logical arguments in atheism is the problem of evil. If God is omniscient, meaning God knows everything, God is omnipotent, meaning that God is all-powerful, and God is omnibenevolent, meaning that God is always willing the good. If God is all of these three things at one time, but evil exists in the world, then how can there also be a God? If God knows that this evil is in the world by being omniscient and has the power to change everything by being omnipotent and is omnibenevolent, meaning always willing the good, then how could God actually want there to be this evil in the world? So the fact that these are essential attributes of this monotheistic God suggests that there can't be any such God because evil very much exists in the world. And there are lots of arguments to try and explain how these things coexist. There's the greater good argument that tries to argue that somehow there is a benefit to having evil in the world, and this is absolutely necessary for goodness to exist in some way. But, you know, C.S. Lewis has tried to make this argument, Uh, Thomas Aquinas, I believe, tried to make that argument, and none of them are really logically sound if you study philosophy, if you studied the arguments. And that's why the problem of evil continues to be an issue for theologians, you know, trying to combat the atheistic idea that there can't possibly be this definition of God. Now, of course, polytheistic gods are not uh, bound to this definition. Because they're not 
Yeah, because they're not supposed to be omnipotent. Um, omnipotent. They're not supposed to be omnipresent. They're not supposed to be omnipotent. They're supposed to be. They have their own mm-hmm. special area, and they kind of they work together, or they don't mm-hmm. work mm-hmm. together, or they work against each other. But mm-hmm. it's all separate things mm-hmm. that move together. Going back to the idea of uh, how monotheism has created this issue of the whole God's plan thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there has been a whole lot of different theories. I'm sure, uh, trying to create a support network for why this exists. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that a big part of that is just kind of like coming up with the issue of, and let me know if you don't want to get into this, because this is kind of like way out there. Mm-hmm. Um, if like this evil happened in the world over here, we can mm-hmm. explain it because greater good possibly, or like, oh, it's deserved because of this, that, or the other thing. Mm-hmm. Um that also kind of, I think, flies in the face of the omnibenevolence, benevolence, don't mm-hmm. you think? Because isn't there this the kind of assumption with an all powerful god that they are tr- that they are supposed to be a god of everyone? And isn't that mm-hmm. a big part of atheism being an all inclusive religion? Mm-hmm. The same way that religions mm-hmm. assume that they are an all inclusive religion. Mm-hmm. Well, I think Stephen Fry, he's a very famous atheist, and he did a wonderful interview. Love Stephen Fry. <laughs> yes. And he did this amazing interview where the interviewer asked, you know, what would you do if you were in front of the pearly gates and you had to face the fact that there was actually a God? And the first thing out of his mouth was, how do you explain eye cancer in children? How, how do you defend that? This idea... What possible greater good could there be in all of these horrors in the world when you take an actual inventory of them? You know, the existence of rape and murder and all that sort of thing. And you could definitely argue that those specific things are the result of free will and that God has absolutely no control over that. But what about all the illnesses, the natural disasters? These are supposed to be under the purview of God, and it is very hard to believe that this God that is always willing the good, the omnibenevolent God, would be willing people to die torn apart in tornadoes, you know, drowning in hurricanes, and freezing to death in blizzard. I mean, in the last, what is it, two weeks, about 20 people died of sub-zero temperatures alone. What sort of all-loving God would force that kind of suffering on people. And you could try and make an argument that, you know, these people must have done something to deserve it, but that doesn't even make sense within the religion itself. If you study Christianity, the book of Job makes it very clear that what happens to people isn't supposed to have anything to do with whether or not they deserve it. The entire point of the book of Job is that he was this devout and deserving Christian And he was punished just because God decided to have a bet with the devil to see whether or not they could undermine his faith. And, you know, the comforters try to convince Job that this has something to do with a failure on his own part. And God explicitly calls them out in the book of Job saying, you know, they have not told you the truth. That is not what I'm about. The monotheistic God is not about rewarding the good and punishing the evil. That's not how the monotheistic God works. And if that's the case, what kind 
of God that we would actually worship would just randomly dole out the suffering and punishment that we experience. What sort of God would deserve that sort of worship? I think that's a basic element of atheism, just the idea of the unfairness of all of it. Um, and one other point that I definitely wanted to hear your thoughts on was the idea of predetermination. Mm. I, like um, I do want to bring up specifically someone that I think is fantastic, and I'm sure you do too. Um, Lord Byron <laughs> was brought up by someone whose str- his mother mm-hmm. strongly believed in predetermination, mm-hmm. and so did Lord Byron. The mm-hmm. only issue is that Lord Byron... They were Calvinists, right? Yes. Um, very early on in the mm-hmm. in Calvinism, Calvinists, mm-hmm. but... Lord Byron specifically believed that, yes, predetermination existed, Mm -hmm. that was an idea, um, but Lord Byron was convinced of the fact that he was doomed to hell. Mm -hmm. And so he was going to have a damned good time Mm -hmm. because he was going to (laughs) be doomed no matter what Mm -hmm. he did. Mm -hmm. So the idea that some people would be so convinced of this idea to change their whole lives based on something that they don't even have any idea of. Mm -hmm. Calvinism's got its own special Mm -hmm. argument, I'm sure, with atheism. Mm -hmm. Um, We've talked a whole lot of, like, in general about um, the mechanics of certain religions, but that is a specific mechanic, which I've always Mm -hmm. been curious to hear about what an atheist would think about, Mm -hmm. just because it's got... Well, it's it's loaded. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's just a kind of ridiculous concept, the idea that a god would create people, decide ahead of time who is going to be blessed and who is going to be damned, let them live out their lives not knowing which one they're going to be, and then when they die, then, you know, everything's already decided and there's no argument that they can make, there's no evidence they can present to change the fate of their souls. You know, it's, what is the purpose of putting them through all that except cruelty? It doesn't make any sense. It's like a Twilight Zone episode. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Just alongside that Mm -hmm. is, oh, I've completely lost my train of thought. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about Lord Byron. Yes. And predetermination, Calvinism. Mm -hmm. Um, Fuck. Where the soul goes. Well, I mean, you can't talk about atheism without talking about science and the fact that nowadays we can explain so much of how the world works without turning to gods and these mythological explanations. You know, we don't have to rely on the myths of Demeter and Persephone to explain how the weather works. We understand how it works. We understand what precipitation is. We have a vague idea of how you know, lightning forms and hurricanes and tornadoes and all that sort of thing. I think the existence of science has definitely exacerbated the tendencies toward atheism. As you mentioned before we started the podcast, uh, the Enlightenment period definitely had this increase in the existence of atheism. You had, you know, during the French Revolution, there was this cult of rationalism and even among the religious, there was this idea of the absent clockmaker, the idea that God had just set this clock that was the world and walked away. And it was our, 
and job to take care of everything that was actually going on Earth, that he was uninterested in what we were doing. And I think that... That's what I was going to bring up, the the (laughs) clockmaker thing. Um, (laughs) Yes. And I think that this idea of an absent God definitely uh, suggested the idea that we were alone in the world to a lot of very liberal, very educated people. And that probably spurred on the... uh, I wouldn't call it the movement. There's never been a movement of atheism. But definitely among free thinkers, it was more common than not to suggest the idea that there was no absent clockmaker in the first place, that we were just here on our own. And Darwin himself, once he was able to explain evolution, it definitely weakened the argument for religion once you weren't able to say that, you know, the universe was only 6,000 years old as the Bible claimed it was. And the advent of science has definitely been the uh, ally of atheism over the centuries. There's no denying that. And it's, it's very hard to argue that a single, you know, omniscient, omnipotent, omnibenevolent being must have created us out of thin air when we're able to find scientific explanations for how it was that we evolved out of chimpanzees and how people changed over time and borrowed all these religions from each other and came up with these stories in the first place. Once you're able to explain how we got to where we are, it's very hard to believe the stories that were put there in the first place. Um, I'm pretty sure like I'm five years away from there being like an actual definite study on this trend mm. but it does seem that at least at least in the past couple years mm. there's been a definite trend toward people in a in this very atheistic um mm. bent world of ours um at least in our neck of the woods tending not towards atheism but towards um a non-main non-mainstream religion kind of like a homemade religion mm-hmm. i've done several episodes where we're just kind of like looking at general homemade like um going from like lol i'm a witch hashtag love witch life (laughs) to actually understanding what wicca is to just being like oh god no wicca to actually finding a pagan religion that you're a part of Mm -hmm. so the idea of in a world that is saturated with explanation and with rational scientific thought it does seem like a lot of people are tending towards um, trying to find a, not an explanation for things, because mm-hmm. they have that, but finding a, I want to say a soul within things, because mm-hmm. that seems trite mm-hmm. and dismissive. But I think you know what I'm trying to say. Well, here. I mean, just because people have an explanation, that doesn't mean it gives things meaning. Okay, yeah. I think that's a major difference between religion and science. Science explains why things work the way they are. It doesn't give a meaning to life. That's something that you have to do by yourself. And religion prescribes a meaning to what it is that you're doing. And I think people are very much attracted to that. We're not very comfortable with thinking by ourselves. And that's why I think a lot of people look for alternative religions as opposed to 
atheism. A lot more people are comfortable with agnosticism as opposed to atheism because they don't want to deny the possibility that there could be something, whereas atheism is definitive in the statement that no, there is nothing out there. It's just us. Well, I think that's kind of missing the point of atheism because mm -hmm. atheism isn't strictly scientific explanation. Mm -hmm. There is a philosophy behind it. Mm -hmm. Um, because it's not just, this is how the world works, end sentence. It's also, this is how the word works. And then there's like, you, mm -hmm. and, and, and so don't be a dick. <laughs> yeah. Well, atheism, it doesn't necessarily even have to coincide with believing in science. You don't have to believe in climate change in order to be an atheist. It just means not believing in any spiritual beating, beings guiding us along the way. The absence of religion. And I think that in general, people are skeptical of that because over the centuries, there's definitely been a consensus whether or not it's monotheistic or polytheistic. People have been determined that there must be more than just us. There has to be a higher being. So I think there's a great hesitancy to embrace the idea that this is all there is. And I think that's a major part of what atheism is. It's not necessarily hedonism. It's not necessarily atheism is very open to different interpretations. If, if you want to be a pleasure seeker, that's fine. That's perfectly compatible. It's not mutually exclusive with a lot of different philosophies. The only tenet of atheism is that you don't believe in a spiritual being. And a lot of people like to keep things open-ended, like to believe that there could be one. You know, they don't necessarily believe in one particular one, but they don't deny the possibility that there could be one. And atheism makes a hard line saying, no, there isn't anything. And we accept that, that there is no afterlife there is no spirituality. It's just us. Um, I've got a question that I don't really have any clue what your answer might be on this one. Mm -hmm. But I've got my own personal little pet theory, and I'd like to hear your opinion on it, that most, if not all, religion is a actual, like, general, I don't know if you'd call it evolutionary, but um, an attempt to deal with a natural inclination towards death anxiety. Do you have any? That, that makes perfect sense. I, I think, as I said before, people are very anxious about the idea that this is all there is. That, you know, there might not be anything after, you know, you go into the white light and all that. Uh, people like the idea of the soul, of something eternal, something that exists beyond the body. It's a very comforting idea. And obviously there is no way to disprove the existence of an afterlife, the existence of a spiritual body. You know, it's something that exists on faith alone. Yeah. And, you know, you can't really make a logical argument against faith except to say that there is no evidence for it. But I think the fact that something is comforting is not a reason to believe it. And 
the idea that there is something beyond the grave is very comforting. It's very seductive to believe that there are other things, that there are, you know, uh, other lives, that our souls go on to live in other bodies, that there is a heaven, that there is an Elysium, that there is a Valhalla. But there is very little evidence for that. And I think atheism, it's not necessarily a tenant. Again, it's, it's not a movement. It's not something with a lot of acolytes. You know, there's no cohesive doctrine for atheism, but it generally accepts the idea that this is all there is. And as a result, we have to appreciate what we have while we're here. So there isn't a lot of comfort in that. And I can definitely appreciate people being scared by it. Most atheists are adherents of science, want things that are provable, that can be evidenced by the scientific method and faith is not one of those things. We can prove how the weather works. We can prove that there are stars, you know, beyond our solar system. We can prove, you know, how diseases take form and all that sort of thing. But faith is one of those things that cannot be proved or disproved. However, Atheism takes the stance that these things are not real, that we're not going to believe in things that there is no evidence for. It's a logic-based philosophy more than anything else. And, I mean, you can make an argument between whether or not there's a difference between philosophy and religion. For example, Taoism is considered both a philosophy and a religion. So there's a thin line between the two. Uh, but atheism in itself, uh, Richard Dawkins has probably talked about things a lot more eloquently than I ever could. Granted, he does so in a more offensive way than I like to think I do. And I remember reading The God Delusion and feeling offended for religious people on their behalf. That's not a gentle introduction into the philosophy, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't make good points. For example, he makes a very persuasive argument that indoctrination into a religion before you come of age, before you hit 18, is actually a form of child abuse. Now, that's a very radical uh, viewpoint, but that doesn't mean it's without merit, because the entire basis is that before you come of age, before you have the ability to uh, form opinions independently, before you have your full faculties, that there's something wrong in forcing this particular viewpoint on you. I found it very persuasive when I read it. The idea that people should be able to choose what it is that they believe after they've developed the ability to think critically and determine what they believe is true and false. When you're a child, you will believe virtually anything. And he actually 
makes an argument that religion may have been something that was just passed on as a result of stories told to children because you believe whatever you were told as children, your evolutionary predisposition to believe whatever your parents tell you because it is a matter of life and death. If they tell you not to go near the saber-toothed tiger, then you will be much more likely to survive if you believe them. If they also told you that a man rode in a chariot through the sky, moving the sun from one place to the other, you'd believe that equally fervently, and that might be the reason that we have religion. It's a definite possibility. Again, there's no way that we can prove whether or not that's the case one way or another, but it's a distinct possibility. And I did mention in a previous episode um, about how when someone's um, just before the age of 18, when you're in that coming of age stage, when you're in your like early to mid teenage years, everyone seems to go through a religious experimentation phase, the same way that you go through like a sexual mm -hmm. experimentation phase or a, um, a general identity experimentation phase. Religion is going to fall under that where you'll see a lot of people experiment with um, like some way out there, kids are going to experiment with like Satanism. Some kids are going to experiment with like Wiccanism. Some kids are going to become hardcore Catholics. Some kids mm -hmm. are going to suddenly find um, that they're into one parent's religion as opposed to another's. Um, it's something that everyone's going to struggle with and everyone's going to play around with. Mm -hmm. I think that atheism also is definitely something that people tend to find in that age group as mm -hmm. well. Sometimes people become a hardcore atheist then, mm -hmm. and then, like, when they're 40, they're like, you know, then they're a, you know, mm -hmm. a Mormon. So it it can go all over the place, but I feel mm -hmm. like just before they hit, at anyone hits that, that, um, that coming of age, quote-unquote age, mm -hmm. there's going to be a wide amount of questioning a wide amount of experimentation with mm -hmm. everything but especially with the world view that religion is because mm -hmm. that's a, that's your filter mm -hmm. in well, so many ways adolescence is when you're trying to find identity and religion has definitely always been a major part of identity i mean there's a reason why on the census you identify yourself you know as a particular religion you're catholic or protestant or hindu or whatever your religion happens to be and notably atheism is not currently one of the options that people elect to because it's not very popular but that's sort of beside the point point is that atheism it's i don't look at it as a religion in and of itself because a religion involves some sort of deity i consider atheism a philosophy that acknowledges the absence of the spiritual being more than anything else and again it is not mutually exclusive you don't necessarily have to be a scientific adherent in order to be an atheist but more often than not the two will go together people will always look for an explanation for why things are the way they are and if you don't believe in a greater power, then you are probably much more prone to accept a scientific explanation. Right. Um, well, I think that we've covered pretty much all the points we were hoping to cover. Mm -hmm. um, 
I don't know if you want anyone to reach out to you or if you'd rather they reach through to me if they have any questions for you or do you have an email or something you'd want people to reach to you at or I they can go through you. That's, All right, great. That's fine. Well, um, I'm certainly willing to talk to anybody who really wants somebody to talk to. Right. Well, um, <laughs> well, definitely. If anyone wants to reach out to Meg, they can definitely do so through through me. You can just reach out to the show in general at drinkingwithgod at gmail dot com. That's with an i n g. Drinking with God. Thank you again for everybody who's supporting the show. Following us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Spotify, on iTunes. Thank you for emailing us. I love your hate mail. And if you would please go to our Redbubble page and check out our t-shirts and our our mugs and our stickers, please buy some. We've got t-shirts that say things like Manic Pixie Existentialist and Ask Me About My Death Anxiety. And uh, please, everyone, continue to follow us, continue to listen to us. Thank you so much for bearing with us, and you all stay weird out there. Oh, my God.